You are listening to the Miami Dolphins Podcast Network. This is Drive Time with Travis Wingfield. Back to throw Tua, looking, flips it down, the wide open! <laughs> Touchdown, Tyreek Hill! Unbelievable! Just flew by him for a second time. Tua knew where he was going right away. How the hell is that little man? I really hope you soon jump on his bandwagon. Waddle, waddle. To a shotgun, back to throw, looking, steps up, fires, touchdown. Okay. It's Waddle. His sixth touchdown Six pass touchdown of the day. Drive time with Travis Wingfield begins now. Let me check your pulse if you're not fired up. What is up, Dolphins, and welcome to the Drive Time Podcast, part of the Miami Dolphins Podcast Network, covering your team, your Miami Dolphins. How's it going, everybody? I am your host, Travis Wingfield, and on today's show, we finish up our Combine coverage 2023. We have a long interview here with the Ringers' Benjamin Solak. Cannot wait for you guys to hear that. Plus, I'll give you my thoughts and takeaways from the week that was here in Indianapolis. All of that and a heck of a lot more from the Indiana Convention Center in Indianapolis. This is the Drive Time Podcast. That's another Miami Dolphins Let's go ahead and first get to my interview with the Ringers, Benjamin Solak. What's up, Dolphins? Back here once again at the Scouting Combine in Indianapolis, 2023 edition. I'm joined today by Ben Solak from the Ringer. Ben, what's up, man? Dolphins, that's a good one. That's nice. It's always fun whenever you do these team sites because everybody's got a a call-in, everybody's got a way to bring it in. Dolphins is one of the best ones I've heard. I kind of troll with that one because, like, I would say 25% of the fans hate it, and they tell me yeah. we're not dolls. And I'm like, look, yeah. I've been doing this same tagline for 10 years. It's not Listen, changing. 25% of the fans hate it. It's a good bit. You know what I'm saying? It gets engagement. We're all right. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. I play both sides. Yeah. I am playing both sides here, Ben. But no, we got Ben Solak here. He's a bit of a quarterback guru. Grew up in the draft. Uh, that was kind of your, your bread and butter yeah. coming up. But now you're doing a lot more features, more NFL scheme stuff. So mm-hmm. I want to get to that here in just a second, talking about McDaniel's offense. But first, I think it's an interesting year for the Dolphins because – you know, back in 2019, they kind of reset the books, draft yep. capital, free agent spending, and, and, you know, kind of reloading the contracts and how they went about things. Got all those draft picks in. Then you go aggressively last year after Tyreek Hill. You get Teron Armstead, a bunch of big free agent uh, and, and veteran players. What's next for this team in terms of team building? What's the next yeah. approach for them? So it's interesting, right? You're starting to transition out of that stage of, like, let's get our cornerstones and into that stage of how do we fill in the margins around the cornerstones, right? Like. You could tell me the Dolphins do anything in free agency in the draft this year. Does anyone here expect the offense to not be, let's throw it to Tyreek and Jalen Waddle? <laughs> exactly. like, that's going to be the offense no matter what they do, right? Like, so your cornerstones are in place. You have your identity. You have your pillars. Now it's filling in the background. Now you ask the questions of, like, all right, Mike Gesicki didn't get used as much, probably going to leave. What do we want our tight end position to look like? How do we get more juice out of that than we did? You look at your backfield and the changes you made. You add Jeff Wilson, Raheem Mostert. You go, okay, these are all San Francisco guys. Is that what we need? Do we want to do something different? So you start to like figure out the margins offensively. Defensively, I think you you're probably have fewer cornerstones, right? You went and got Bradley Chubb. I think your safety room is, is Jones and, and, and uh, Javon Holland. That's cornerstones. Cornerback is probably a bit of a weird situation right now. I don't know what's going on there in Miami. So you don't have as many cornerstones, but still, like, Mike McDaniel knows Vic. Vic knows how to run a defense. You kind of understand what your identity is going to be. Now it's okay. You know, do we want to go Draymond Jones or do we feel like we can get that guy in round three? Like, you kind of start to fill in the, the, the gaps in what already you kind of know what your offense, your defensive identity is. Uh, that's really interesting because in the podcast earlier, I talked about how, like, this year, I'm not really sure what, like, the offseason kind of projection looks like. Where in years past, like, you kind of knew, like, okay, yeah. we need cornerstones at premium spots. But now those premium spots are pretty much filled up. So, like you mentioned, you know, tight end, running back, like, off ball linebacker might be a spot. 100%. You mentioned cornerbacks in the, in the attraction. 
attrition that happens there. I'm going to jump to a different portion of the interview here because you kind of touched on something that I really want to dive into because, like, the cornerback position, well, you know, that was yeah. – this defense had been built back to front for so long. I'm curious how you see the, the scheme shift and how the personnel we currently have yeah. matches that scheme shift. So it's important to, to frame this correctly. Vic Fangio's defense relies on – corners less than the Flores and, and, and Josh Boyer defense. They're not as important. With that said, there's no defense in the league in which outside corners are really, really, really important. So you don't want to go like, oh, we don't need to be a serious about outside corner. No, you do. You've got to be really serious. There's no way to not be serious about that position. It's just Flores was all about islands, right? And, and for Vic Fangio and, and that defensive approach, you want to definitely have that, that start outside guy, but you can help them in different ways. You can run a greater variety of coverages. You, get, you have a lot more tools in your toolkit against wide receiver ones as well. Like Flores' response was pretty typically like, press them, blitz, press them and blitz. Like if they have a star guy, we're just gonna make the quarterback's life hell. And then that way the star guy's not gonna activate. There's a lot more answers in Fangio's toolbox to like that sort of an issue. And that's where safety is really important. You look at how when this defense has been successful, Fangio in in, in, uh, uh, in Denver, Kareem Jackson and Justin Simmons, Brandon Stanley when he was with the Rams, Josh Johnson, right? The, this The idea of having this Fangio safety is really important. That's why, like, what the play you've gotten from Javon Holland and Brandon Jones makes you feel so, so, so good about the transition of this defense in. You still need to figure out what exactly outside corner is going to look like. You still need that corner one. You need that Pat Sertan, right, that Fangio took top ten when he was with the Broncos. But... Altogether, you can move away from that position a little bit in terms of focus. You're going to put more on the plate of the safeties, and the Dolphins are really well suited for that because the personnel they already have. We've had a lot of folks talk about Javon Holland and this defense. So if you go good. every single year. Good. He's awesome. <laughs> it's, it's awesome because like yeah. every person I've talked to, to a man. But that's why I always bring up Brandon Javon. Jones because yeah. people forget. Jones can play, man. Yeah, he's he, he can hold his water. Yeah. And his, his preparation and the way he kind of communicates makes me think it's a good fit there because it is a complex defense to kind of yeah. get down, especially you know installing it from day one. So. I think your answer might be the guy we just talked about, number eight, I'm, I'm thinking, but I just want to ask you, who do you think stands to gain the most from the scheme shift in the Dolphins' defense? Holland's definitely up there. I would say Chubb also gains a lot. Just Vic knows him. Yeah. And Chubb, like, Chubb's a really, really good rusher. And I think that the, it's, a, it's a mercurial position. It's going to have hot and cold runs. Like, I think Chubb's really good. I don't think there should be panic about the trade and about the value for it. you got a really good edge rusher with a first overall pick. Like that's, or first round pick, excuse me. That's just how the NFL works. You know what I'm saying? Like, he might be a little bit older, but I, I feel good about that trade. I feel good about the future for the Dolphins. So I think that, that Fangio change helps him out a lot. Uh, I got questions about interior defensive line. And I got questions about linebacker. I'll be curious to see how those positions shake out. But still, like, there's talent there, right? Wilkins, Raekwon, who's awesome. And Jerome Baker, like you got guys. Just a matter of like figuring out how the puzzle pieces that fit. comes together. Yeah, that, yeah. Makes, that makes perfect sense. And you know, talking about the edge rushing position, uh, Jalen Phillips had a big breakout year last year. And yeah. it's funny because like the sack total was kind of the same from the rookie year, but the impact on tape was just so much more substantial. Mm-hmm. You, what do you see from his game in year two? Yeah, year? I always liked Jalen Phillips. I always thought he was a good player. He pairs nicely with Chubb. You got size there. You got guys who can handle the run. That's going to be important for this defense. Uh, Phillips, the quality of his play, just like you said, the sack numbers stay about the same. You go and look at how the sacks were created, like yeah. what, how they generate them. He's doing a lot more work. Uh, a big explosive guy is always going to be able to find success in the outside rush, but like the work with his hands, right, and, and critically the ability to stay healthy and get reps, right. When he came out, like he'd been banged up at UCLA, you know, the Miami transfer, he had missed time, he had considered retiring from football, like he was just spotty with how long he was committed to the game, the periods of time that he missed, and kind of that halts your development. It kind of put some bumps and some starts in there. 
now he's, he's been much more available, and you can see him kind of putting pieces together. So he's coalescing the way. I think that the Dolphins expected he would the way I, ho I hoped he would. He's a good, good little player. Without that journey he had in college, there's no way he's available at pick 18 back in 2021. Absolutely, so yeah. it benefits Miami yeah. in a big way. I told you we're jumping around a bit. I want to go back to the offense here and just touch on the way McDaniel installed this, this offense in year one. We were talking on the walk over here. It's been yeah. a long time since the Dolphins had a top 10 offense this year, number six overall. Yeah. Just give us the bird's eye view on how that offense was created, and we'll talk about Tyreek and Jalen in a second. Yeah. But just like kind of from a scheme standpoint, how it was put together. McDaniel is the preeminent offensive mind right now in the league in terms of, of, of ingenuity, in terms of creativity, in terms of cutting edge, right? Like Andy Reid, like Sean McVay, the guys are still like more foundational. But in terms of right now, a guy doing cool new things <laughs> who other people are going to like copy and follow, yeah, like McDaniel's one of one. Um, really, like the impact that he had on this offense was extremely reminiscent of the impact that Sean McVay had on the Rams offense of 2017 when he took that over. Because he came in and ran one thing, one play. We literally called it like the play, capital T, capital P, <laughs> where they're setting the receiver in jet motion. He becomes the new wide receiver one, and then they run him on the wheel, and the outside receiver runs that curl or runs that post, and they run a little split zone fake. He ran that 12 times a game. I mean, like, it's all they ran. When, they, when the Chargers beat him, that was the only play the Chargers were trying to stop. Anytime they ran anything else, the Dolphins got it, but it was just, we got to take away this one play, yeah. right? Yeah. So that was very similar to how McVay came in 2017, helped Jared Goff and kind of revitalized the Rams offense that was totally inert previously. Uh, that understanding, that, that ability to get to such a similar bucket, right? Think about a shooter getting to the elbow in a variety of ways against a variety of coverages. Just get to one spot and get two out of that one spot. That's, that's the hallmark of just a really, really, really good offensive mind. Like, that's a guy who just fully gets it. Now comes part two. Everybody's seen it, right? And now it becomes, okay, you have to have new plays. You have to have new stuff that you go for. You have to have new ways to stretch the defense. If you're going to be a cutting-edge guy, you don't get to sleep very much. You have to stay a step ahead, right? And so that would be an interesting thing to see is, is how this thing continues to evolve. But the dawn of McDaniel was unbelievable. The dawn of McDaniel. It was, it was, it was, it was, it was foundation. I was thinking, like, run the football and zone or whatever. They're pulling guards, you know what I'm saying? They're spreading it out. Like, they're shotgun, they're RPO. This was... A guy who's been waiting for a long time to take over his offense, taking over and absolutely killing it. Now I gotta stay ahead. Yeah, we saw a lot of those fun concepts. Like one one week, Tyreek Hill on that rail route up the sideline hits a big gain. The next week, you get Trent Sherfield on a little hook route in the middle for a 75 yard yeah, touchdown. touchdown. That was the play. Yeah. yeah, that first touchdown, that was the play. Uh, big catch against the Bills was the play. Yep. There's a, a catch against the Lions, Jalen Waddle on third down. That was the play. A lot of good plays for the Dolphins this year was the play. You mentioned Jalen Waddle. I'm the biggest Jalen Waddle fan there is. He went from, from about nine yards per catch to 18 this year, doubled yeah. his total lead, lead, league leader in yards per catch. We obviously know about Tyreek Hill. How do Tyreek and Jalen make yeah. what you just talked about go? So I always I go back and forth on this. T. Higgins, Brandon Ayuk, Devontae Smith. But if you made me pick who the best – receiver in the league is who's not the wide receiver one on his team, I think I would take Waddle. Me too. I, I might change my opinion on that. <laughs> it's tough. It's really, really hard. There's a lot of good wide receiver teams. Uh, uh, Waddle's just is so uniquely quick. It's just a jitterbug, and, and Tyree kills the same way. But tough, and they'll catch him in the middle of the field, and they're willing to take hits. Uh, you cannot, like I said, McDaniel, this is an incredible offense. It's one of one. You cannot do this unless you have as terrifying of a speed threat. Like, if you think about all those intermediate windows, that they generated just just 15 yard curl routes, 15 yard stop routes, 15 yard digs, 15 yard posts. It's because the safeties are further back when they yeah. face the Dolphins than any other beat offense. And they're not doing that because McDaniel throws the ball vertical a lot, Tua throws the ball vertical a lot. They're not doing it because the Dolphins throw the ball deep. They, they really don't, like, like Tua led the league in a lot of like 20 plus yard throws, 25 plus yard throws. But when you look at those, those are all breaking throws. Yeah. They didn't really throw vertical, like nine balls. They just didn't do it that much. So why are the safeties that far back? 
the 10 and 17. Yeah, I know. And I you're just it. terrible. You're just terrified <laughs> of, the, of the idea of these guys getting on top of you. If you decide to get aggressive just once, it's the Lions touchdown to Tyreek Hill. Yep. If you try to step up, they're going to get on top of you. And so you have to sit back there. You have to let those intermediate windows open up. So the Dolphins get, because of Waddle, because of Tyreek Hill, more real estate than any other offense does. It's that simple. They're, the other offenses are working with, with 53 yards across and 40 yards deep. The Dolphins are working with 50. There's just more room between the zones than anybody else gets. And like, for a quarterback as accurate as Tua, to then get that on that amount of space on top of just the, his natural accuracy, his natural timing. That's why you see those drives where the Dolphins' offense is just effortless. It's just so, so, so easy. 18 yards, 18 yards, 18 yards. They're playing against a college team. It's because they get so much more room than the yeah. other NFL offenses do. It was funny because in training camp, I was like, am I a homer? Because every play it was like, oh, 15 yards to Waddle, 18 yards to Tyreek, oh, there's Gasicki yeah. for 20 more. It was just constant. Like, okay, that's the offense we're going to get, I guess, in September. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. So I want to ask you this as a kind of a follow-up to that last part, and then we'll get into some draft prospect talk here just because I have you here. Mm-hmm. So we saw that Niners game. You talked about that 15-yard box, and Fred Warner just changed yeah. the way that offense worked because of his size, his length, his athletic yeah. ability to get that depth in those hook zone drops. How does Miami combat? Yeah. I know not many teams have Fred Warner to make that happen, but how would you combat if you play the Niners again in Fred Warner? Yeah, one team's got Fred. That's yeah. a nice that's a relief. He's okay. in the yeah. wrong conference, too. Yeah. Uh, the other thing that the Niners did, which is really important because you saw the Chargers start to take advantage of this with Michael Davis, is they pressed, right? Mm-hmm. Because it's very counterintuitive. I just told you Tyreek and Jalen Waddle are terrifying. you gotta pre- you got you got to be so worried about that speed. Pressing them sounds insane. Like a nightmare. Right, exactly. <laughs> what are you thinking? But the Dolphins' offense is so timing-based. And particularly Tua lives on timing, right? Like he needs it to be like three-step out, three-step out. Like Tua is very, very, very dependent on the timing in his pocket such that if you press these guys and just hassle them a little bit, just throw off the, the geometry, throw off the, the trigonometry, whatever, the telemetry, you're going <laughs> to put a grain of sand in the, in the watch, right, in the cogs, and it'll kind of bust the whole thing open. So Fred takes away in the middle of the field, but they also brought corners up and press. You saw the Chargers do that. Bills did it a little bit, not too much. Uh, but you, you see that that starts to impact some of those timing throws, some of those third down throws, and it lets you get a couple more punts out of the Dolphins. That's, that's what you need to do to that offense, just stop it a couple of times. <laughs> yeah. So... When, when McDaniel's trying to handle this, you'll see him throw to the motion man more. A lot of times they use the motion man to screw with people, and then they throw to somebody else. Throw to the motion man because it's hard to press the motion man. He's the guy that's running around. You can't really get on the line of scrimmage and press him. Uh, and then you see them throw more outbreaking stuff, which Tua can throw outbreaking stuff. He just throws it more like shallow, 5 to 10 yards, as opposed to their intermediate stuff, which is all in-breaking. That's like 15 to 20 yards. You'll live with that as a defense. Guys, they're throwing speed outs. It's a relief, right? We don't them throwing all this stuff that breaks over the middle. Uh, <laughs> So you'll see more third of the motion, man. You'll see more outbreaking stuff. All that's going to be well and good. The number one thing that'll help, being able to run the football sure. functionally, right? It's just the, the, they had moments of it. You, you, you saw stretches where they would rely on the running game and it would sustain for them, but then they'd get a turnover, they have a bad possession, have a drop, and then all of a sudden they're down by 10 and then you just got to throw the football, right? You got to find a way to fight back into this game. We have two and, and, and Tyreek and Waddle, it makes sense. But in general, when, when teams are going to devote this many resources to stopping the pass, if you just had the ability to run the football for six yards consistently, you could pull the scales back in your balance. And that's why, like, 
Uh, if I'm guessing what they do offensively, it's looking at the back, looking at the tight end, and then also looking along the offensive line. So, and seeing how can we figure out to improve this running game and, and make things a, little more, things a little more balanced. Perfect transition to the last thing I want to talk to you about here yeah. is some potential day two fits at those spots. Let's <coughs> talk about offense. You know, probably not in the quarterback market, probably not in yeah. the wide receiver market, you know, that early in the draft. You mentioned offensive line, tight end, running back. All of our running backs, all four of our guys we rostered last year are, are scheduled to be free agents. We'll see what yeah. happens there. But who do you like in day two at the spots you just mentioned for the Dolphins draft? It's a, it's a great running back class. And it's a great running back class to get a big fella, which I would encourage, right? I think, like, McDaniel's going to watch Devon A. Chain, the track star from Texas A&M, who's 190 pounds, and, like, <laughs> lose his mind. And, you know, <laughs> you know put, put, put our temptations away for a second and focus. Uh, there are some big backs in this class, and I think size is going to benefit the Dolphins because it's nice to be able to, to, when you're a speed team, you're a small team like this, to get a little bit bigger if you need to. Eric Gray out of Oklahoma is an option for you there. Uh, Zach Charbonnet out of UCLA, both of those guys should be day two dudes in my opinion. Those are some of the bigger backs that you can see that, that I think will, will work. Uh, Roshan Johnson out of Texas, the backup to Bijan Robinson, another one who's really, really good. He can pass protect too, which is important. They leave the back end pass protect a lot. Roshan's a really good pass protector, a really good special teamer. The more I'm talking about this, Roshan, is, I should have started with that's him. He's really, he's really good for the Dolphins. Uh, and so that's what you look at at back. Uh, offensive line, I'll be really curious to see what mold they go for. McDaniel comes from a, a 49ers team that went for lighter guys, longer guys, zone guys, but all they did was pull, right? I mean, constantly pulling dudes and pulling guys in pass protection, right? Using Robert Hunt that way, and, and, and I think that that makes more sense to them. So I look for gap power guys, Steve Avila, guard out of, out of TCU, Matt Bergeron, the tackle out of Syracuse, who I like quite a bit. Those are dudes that I think 52, and then you move, move to the picks in the 80s. They could be around. You'd love, love, love to get a Darnell Wright out of, out of Tennessee, the tackle. He's really nice, what you like. I don't think he's there, 52. I think you'd have to go up and get him. Yep. Um, but those are the sort of dudes that I would expect. And then tight end. It's having a useful utility player who can block is really, really, really important to this team. And when you are you are putting a back back there, he's like a smaller guy, and then Tyreek and Waddle, you are fundamentally like Tyreek and Waddle, you're not asking them to block. You aren't asking them to do it. And if you're gonna back them up with Trent Sherfield and like Albert Wilson, like that makes sense. Like I get that. You wanna still have these dudes, but you desperately need a sixth guy you can add to, to matter in the running game, that and that additional body. Durham Smythe solid player, but you can improve upon that. And that's where, like, you try to use Gesicki in that way. It's just not as valuable for them. And to me, they have to look at, like, the actual legitimate wide tight end, not the flex 245-pound guys. Like, you don't have to go the whole Darnell Washington route out of Georgia's, like, 270 pounds. But look at your, your Bretton Strange out of Penn State. Look at your Luke Schoonmaker out of Michigan. Look at your, think of a third name. There's so many good tight ends. The, um, the Oregon State kid, Luke Musgrave. Musgrave. Look at these guys and, and consider bringing up 250-plus power who can legitimately block and just add that dimension to the offense you didn't have last year. That'd be a really good compliment to that speed, like you mentioned, on the yeah. outside. Let's go back to the defense and finish there, talking about potential picks day two, day, or day yeah. two round two, round three. On the defense, I think you mentioned corner, linebacker. What are you looking yeah. at there? Incredible corner class. Really, really good corner class to just take a guy in round two. Take Emmanuel Forbes out of Mississippi State. Big, long man coverage. Clark Phillips out of Utah, though, like, because uh, Dick's okay with some smaller guys on the outside, and Phillips is really, really good. The only thing he's not good at is being six foot. He's 5'10". Yeah. <laughs> and so you, know, you can't control that one. So Clark Phillips, I think, makes a lot of sense for them. He's a little bit of a smaller guy. The Louisville Nickel, whose name I don't remember, he's good for them as well. So Google him, because I can't remember his name. Um, but they, they, they got, they got uh, it's a really, really deep corner class. Cam Smith out of South Carolina. Julius Prince out of Kansas State. Tyreek Stevenson out of Miami. There's so many guys. So corner's great for them this year. Uh, I'd imagine they try to bring in another guy, linebacker, off-ball linebacker in the middle rounds. 
not the best class for that. It's an extremely weak linebacker class, unfortunately. Um, so go for your Diane Henleys out of Washington State. Go, go Cougs. Yeah, go Cougs. Uh, Dorian Williams out of Tulane, I like quite a bit. Williams, I think, is a good player for them. Again, another special teams guy. Uh, you can, I think, bring those guys in, picks 80, early round four, and see if you can get good coverage out of them. Because you, Vic Fangio defense, you're going to ask that middle coverage backer to do a lot. And Jerome Baker's solid, but I think you do got to start experimenting with seeing if you hit on a dart throw in a later round, see if you can help him out. And so I would say linebacker and corner of the positions, I expect him to hit, you know, day two, early day three. That linebacker spot, another position with a bunch of free agents for the Dolphins coming up yep. here. So Ben Solak from the Ringer, what are you working on, man? What's coming up? The NFL draft, man. Just Ringer NFL <laughs> show, Ringer NFL draft show. We're doing stuff all year. It's going to be good. Good stuff. We appreciate your time yeah. today, man. Thanks, dude. And away he goes. We finished there with maybe the best for last. He was a lot of fun talking to about the Dolphins offense, about Vic Fangio, Tyreek, and Jalen. Really covered every base there with the Ringers Benjamin. So like, go check out his work. A very talented writer. Obviously a very articulate football mind here. Let's go ahead and take our last break of the week from Indianapolis and come back on the other side. And I'll give you my combine thoughts and takeaways from the week that was in Indianapolis. That's next. Draft Time Podcast. Your host, Travis Wingfield. Brought to you by AutoNation. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy last year by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. So how great was all of that content we had for you here at the Scouting Combine in Indianapolis? We were running around chasing down people all week long, and I thought we really got our best content at the Combine to date in doing this job, year number four here with the Miami Dolphins. Big names, smart football minds, and I think we all learned a lot about this year's draft class and this Miami Dolphins football team. And we'll get a little more Dolphins-specific, you know, once free agency uh, meets its conclusion, or, or I should say we have you know a better idea of what the roster looks like heading into the draft season. But with that, I just kind of wanted to do a personal recap on the week that was in Indianapolis because we heard from so many great football minds, but I haven't really put my input in yet, so we'll do that here in just a second. But first, I want to talk about the food scene in Indianapolis. Number one, St. Elmo's never disappoints. Last year, I went to Harry and Izzy's for my steak and my shrimp cocktail. Had the filet at St. Elmo's on Tuesday night along with the shrimp cocktail. That is an A-plus meal. And the guys that are here with me this week, Mike and JT from our video staff, we went to Fogo de Chao later on in the week, and it was good. Food was fantastic. But for a guy that just doesn't eat a whole lot, not really my kind of place. Not a scheme fit for old Tringfield here. Again, the various meats were fantastic, but man, it was a little bit overwhelming. I even told Mike, the guy next to me right now, our producer here, I didn't know you could tell them no. So every two minutes, a person would come by over your shoulder with a different cut of meat. I just kept accepting, saying yes. So I had lamb chops. I had sirloin, New York strip, prime rib. They brought this weird bacon-wrapped chicken thing out that was too much at the end. If you're a fan of meats, mostly steak, and you want a filling meal, this is the place for you. And finally, I think my favorite spot, aside from St. Elmo's, was the social cantina, the one that the guys went to without me before uh, early in the week and left me to dry and not get a chance to eat there after I recommended that restaurant in the first place. But then I did go back there on Thursday and enjoyed a very nice lunch. They're trying to convince me that I was the one to blame for that right now. Nice little Tex-Mex spot right by the convention center. I had the Gringo Burrito. It's ground beef, which I was told is frowned upon, but that's the best type of burrito there is, in my opinion. So very, very good stuff. Those are my uh, restaurant grades and and 
I guess, scheme fits, as it were. Let's get back to the draft, though, and see. we'll see how these workouts go on the actual field itself. But I think we've kind of gathered a consensus thought with how this class is viewed. And, of course, that changes each year or, I suppose, has some relative inaccuracy as it's literally impossible to predict perfectly what's going to happen in the draft each year. We get surprises, or I, I guess they shouldn't be surprises because – it's not a surprise if it happens all the time, but every year we get things we don't expect in the NFL draft. But you did hear from the experts, and they gave us their thoughts on the best fits and which directions the Dolphins can go. So I wanted to really dive in and give my thoughts on the positions that we discussed. And again, those were running back, tight end, offensive line, cornerback, and safety. And let's go ahead and start on defense here because it seems like we always start on the offensive side of the ball when we do these conversations. Let's go ahead and go to the safety position. And there's one guy to me that really stands out among this group. And it'll be intriguing to see what happens in free agency this offseason because the safety group has so many different players that are just very talented, but also a variety of skill sets that kind of can allow the teams to choose their flavor they prefer, whether it's a box safety who can come down and kind of be an enforcer, a center field safety with range to kind of cover the deep third of the football field. So you really have your choice there. And how will that kind of have an impact on the safety class here in the draft? Those things always go together, and it's always – you know, it's not always black and white about positional value because you have what's available, the supply and the demand of the teams that have them can change that from year to year. So the one guy that I just absolutely love his tape is Illinois' Sidney Brown. Went back and watched more of him after chatting with Daniel Jeremiah. How's that for a name drop here on the podcast? But he mentioned how he thinks Brown's going to absolutely roll track speed with his physicality and the ability to kind of give you an extra hat in the box, but also match up and turn around and run 40 yards downfield with you know some of the best athletes at the tight end position or even running backs in, in college football. I think that he would be a really nice chess piece in Coach Fangio's defense. I don't think it's worth diving into the players that I think are going to be first-round locks, and that would include here to me Alabama's Brian Branch and Texas A&M's Antonio Johnson. Another guy that I liked and thought was really good at his media availability was Jamie Robinson from Florida State. Another chess piece type of guy that has played so much football and you see that experience in the way that his football IQ shows up on tape time and time again there at Florida State. He's a guy I feel that could come in and not and just give you minimal communication breakdowns that you would expect from a rookie and allow your defense to play at full speed because of his aptitude for knowing and studying the playbook and just knowing the defense in general. At the other DB position, the cornerbacks, there's some variety here as well. Uh, Probably the deepest group in the entire draft class. Just absolutely loaded with Witherspoon, Gonzalez, Porter Jr., Smith, I think are all going to be first-round locks. And you'll get some more, but gosh, this class is super impressive. Let's go ahead and do this like a lightning round just to get through these guys real quick. Keely Ringo from Georgia. Just watch how he times when he works out tonight. He's a freaky athlete who I think is going to only get better with seasoning, but his numbers are going to jump off off the combine tape. Clark Phillips is a guy that I have to watch more of out of Utah, but I'm mentioning him because all of our guests to a man mentioned his game and his skill set. And you also don't play for Kyle Whittingham's defense without the ability to tackle very well, which is so important. As you heard, I think it was Trevor Sikama talk about on the Thursday podcast. If you're going to play lighter boxes, you have to have good tackling DBs, and that's what he brings. And he also, if you're going to play in Kyle Whittingham's defense, you have to have a certain temperament, especially at the line of scrimmage. So he has that. Clark Phillips is what I was told. I'll watch the tape and confirm more later. Emmanuel Forbes from uh, Mississippi State physical as all get out really sharp instincts and he was wearing a Marlins hat during his media availability so 
uh, some good Miami connections there. We've talked a lot about Julius Brents from Kansas State and Travis Hodges Tomlinson from uh, TCU. They are so very different in their play style, but the speed that Hodges Tomlinson has with the fire that he plays with, that's the kind of player I, I always love. If they play 100 miles an hour and their thinking from their mindset is 100 miles an hour as well, I think those two things tend to, to marry up pretty well. Then Garrett Williams from Syracuse, Deontay Banks from Maryland, Tyreek Stevenson from Miami. There's going to be corners taken on day two this year that start a lot of football games in the NFL. And if the Dolphins go in that direction, hopefully one of those guys is in aqua and orange. At linebacker, we almost went three for three on Dayon Henley. Shoutouts among Trevor, Jordan, and Ben. And you guys already know about him. Former safety who plays with the temperament and athletic traits that just jump off the tape. Uh, he's already tested by the time you hear this podcast, so he's going he's gonna to jump off the, the combine tape, as it were, just as he did at his Washington State tape. He was You watched him game in and game out. He was an impact player for the Cougs defense. I also wanted to mention Henry To'o'o. I know I pronounced that incorrectly, out of Alabama, because I think he has a chance to be that off-ball enforcer, a player whose physicality and block deconstruction skill set allows you to play those light boxes we talk about and just let Christian, Zach, Raekwon, Chubb, and Phillips all eat up blocks up front and just funnel you know, billions of tackles to uh, your linebacker playing downhill. On the offensive side of the football, across the line, uh, interior-wise, I think Osiris Torrance and John Michael Schmitz are long gone by the time we get to pick 52. Tons of tackles are going to go off the board as well. You heard Solak mention Darnell Wright from Tennessee. I, I agree with Ben that he's gone before pick 52, but he might be in that potential trade-up range if you get to that position where you want to make that move. Matthew Bergeron from Syracuse, a name I heard a lot, and the people I talk to on a regular basis have mentioned him and really like the way he fires off the football and how he plays in space, which we know fits this Dolphin scheme quite well. And then Steve Avila from TCU, three for three on his callouts today uh, with talking to Jordan, Ben, and Trevor. I guess it was Thursday, but um, recording the podcast on Thursday. Massive frame, great bend, and, and really smooth anchor to kind of absorb all the, the weight and power you get from bull rushes across the interior. He has the framework and just the sheer mass to be that and also potentially a dominant run blocker the more he develops. And then Cody Mach, uh, just a pure technician, which is... It's always cool to see these guys come out of the small schools that have just their, their technique refined because, you know, the step up in competition can be not so stark for them when they do have that good technique and, and their fundamentals are sharp. I would not be shocked if he's a, a day one starter next year for some team that drafts him uh, this coming April. At tight end, we covered this position so well this week, but um, I just love Darnell Washington's game as much as anybody. You heard it all week. Probably my favorite player in the entire draft class just because he makes me laugh the most when I watch his tape in terms of how dominant he is. We'll see if he makes it to 52. If he does, I think it's because there are just so many tight ends that could go off the board before him or in this class in general, which tends to depress the value of the position. He and Luke Musgrave are my two favorite tight ends I've watched so far on tape. And then at running back, Devin A-Chain was the one guy who I came away from Indy with an even better opinion of than when I entered the Combine. I love his tape. I knew he was fast, but hearing that he might run the four twos, uh, I knew he was fast. I didn't know he was that fast. That makes him super intriguing for me in this offense. Him and Jameer Gibbs, they just move at a different speed than everybody else in this class. 
And then also, if you want to go back to the, kind of the size idea, I, I'm really intrigued by Roshan Johnson at Texas. He was the backup to B. John Robinson. Different prototype than the first two guys I mentioned, uh, but he's definitely solid in pass pro and short yardage, which was an area of concern for Miami last year. And then finally, Zach Charbonnet, who's kind of a throwback classic at the position. Like, think about the early 2000s when you just mounted up and rode your running back for 25 carries a game. It was commonplace. That's what UCLA did with Charbonnet this past year. We'll talk more about receivers, quarterbacks, and defensive linemen as we go along in this draft process. I love the conversation we had with Jordan Reed about the quarterback class. We talked at length with Solak about the quality of Miami's front four and the wide receivers that he loves here so much with Tyreek and Jalen. But these were the positions that people really talked about this week. So so they were the spots I wanted to focus on on some more film rewatch and just general research and uh, media availability presence this week here in Indianapolis. So that's my takeaway. I kind of want to give you three players that I'm just going to plug in at the three picks here. Uh, I get kind of a mock draft, but not really just three guys I think that could be there that make a lot of sense for Miami. Number two, the pick uh, 52 in, overall in the draft, tight end Darnell Washington from Georgia. Again, if he's there, I, I would run the card up there. And again, I think the tight end class's depth depresses its own value a little bit. I think Gibbs will be long gone, and this guy to me stands the best chance to immediately benefit your offense from a, a run game and pass game standpoint. In the third round, I'm taking my guy, linebacker Dayon Henley from Washington State. You guys know how I feel about him. The athletic ability, I think he's only going to get better the more size he adds. And that safety skill set, I think, just allows him to be able to play both in coverage and down in the box and take on blocks in the way you want to in this defense. And then the other third-round pick, I'm taking the, the running back from A&M, De- Devon A-Chain. Just such a good pass catcher, elite speed, and I think that really complements what the Dolphins' offense wants to be here. With the speed they have on the perimeter, you add that speed to the running back position to go along with if you bring back someone like Raheem Mostert. You just have track speed all over the field, and he would add to that. All right, that is going to be my time. Uh, that's it from Indianapolis. We'll come back on Monday. We have a special podcast for you guys. I sat down with Dolphins fullback Alec Ingold. I cannot wait to have you all hear that. He was super insightful and lots of good stuff there talking about the Dolphins last year and into 2023 and also his book that he published. So good stuff there coming your way on the YouTube channel and we'll have a much longer version of that interview for you guys here on the podcast. The full pod, the full interviews on the podcast, shortened version of it on YouTube as well as Dolphins today. So check out all of that. In the meantime, you please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. You can follow me on Twitter at Winkfield NFL. Follow the team at Miami Dolphins. Check out the Fish Tank podcast with Seth and Juice and all the international podcasts we have on the network. Check out that YouTube channel for media availabilities and Dolphins today. And last but not least, the Combine written notebook up on MiamiDolphins.com. Until next time, fins up. Carolina and Cameron, daddy is already home.